Welcome to the Smart City Podcast, the technology program that looks at how buildings, communities, and cities are becoming smarter, more efficient, and more connected. We look at everything from the big ideas to drilling down to individual projects and innovative ideas that impact your day-to-day life. The Smart City Podcast is brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless, and secure solutions. Welcome to episode 52, recorded on February 20th, 2023. For this show, we packed everything up and headed to the Canadian International Auto Show in Toronto to check out Project Arrow, a proof-of-concept plan that showcases all the amazing tech available from Canadian manufacturers when it comes to the cars of the future. The hope is that existing manufacturers will take advantage of what Canadian companies have to offer, as well as to inspire someone to create a domestic EV brand. We have the tech, we have the knowledge, we have the worker base, so why not? Locomobi CEO Grant Furlane and I sat down with Flavio Volpe of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association for the whole story on Project Arrow. Something a little different for this uh, edition of the podcast. We are on location at the Canadian International Auto Show, uh, the 50th anniversary of the auto show, and the first time in uh, a couple of years that we've actually had one because we had this annoying thing called a pandemic that caused it to be canceled for a couple of years. And we are at the Project Arrow booth, um, and we're going to talk about some really interesting innovations in terms of electric vehicles and Canada, because we've got, how much is this thing worth? 20 million right we've got, We're sitting next, <laughs> next door. To and, and by the way, if you want to write a check for triple that, you can pick one up right now. Okay. A $20 million SUV is sitting next to us. And we're here with Flavio Volpe of the Automotive Parts Manufacturer Association of Canada, uh, who are behind this vehicle that, I mean, that's, that's a pretty sexy looking thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And And, I guess we should explain why the smart city people are here today. Grant, do you want to explain um, your relationship first? Then we can talk about the car. Yeah, first of all, it's it's not our show. It's um, it's it's the um, the car show, and it's Project Arrow because that's what I think we should talk about. But as you know, Locomobi World are by far the leader in smart transportation, smart smart vehicles. And we, we are going to collaborate on some of the smart features of the vehicle, not the designs and that. And we've been fortunate enough to be invited to be part of the team. And that's really it. I, I think you'll hear more as we go, more podcasts, more discussion, Alan. But today it's about Project Arrow. Let's start at the very beginning. And let's, let's talk about what the APMA is. So, Alan, uh, you know, not a lot of people know uh, that about 75% of any vehicle is made by the parts suppliers. And then they show up, all these parts show up and these systems show up at the car maker's assembly plant and they get put together like a jigsaw puzzle. So I represent several hundred of those suppliers in Canada, from wheel makers to uh, cybersecurity uh, suppliers. And the APMA has been around for 70 years. And we represent 95% of the Canadian supply. That's 100,000 people, $35 billion a year. And we used to be the Automotive and Aircraft Parts Association in the 50s. And in the 50s, Canada built this incredible uh, supersonic fighter jet called the Avro Aero. So we thought we'd come full circle with a Project Aero. Okay. Backing up just a little bit, we last spoke at the uh, at CES in Las Vegas in 2020, and you had a Carmen Fisker there. Yeah. Which was that the first iteration of an electric or hybrid vehicle for the APMA? No, what we did with that one, and we did in partnership with uh, that company. Also, we we'd been doing it for years with Toyota and Lexus. Was a whole bunch of these suppliers that I represented new technology that they wanted to show two and three years out, and so those two companies 
gave us cars and said, put the technology on it. You can't get into the CAN bus architecture, but you can certainly use it to demonstrate. And so on that, uh, that Karma, what we had was uh, uh, some very advanced encryption software from a company called Isara that won an innovation award there at CES. And so that car was our demonstration platform. Isara is one of our partners for years, and they're also on this vehicle here. And that, and that the attention that that car got was a bit of an inspiration for, hey, by the way, instead of doing, using somebody else's car as a platform, shouldn't we build one? And here we are. Who shouldn't we build one? Yeah. Who is that? Who said, yeah. like, who was that? Well, I, you know, so uh, about a month before that CES, I'd been to the throne speech here. The prime minister's uh, reset uh, after the NAFTA renegotiations challenged us to uh, envision a zero emissions future. Came back to the office and as we were, prep <clears throat> as we were prepping for that show, sat down with Colin and I said, do you know there's this poster on our wall that shows all the different parts and systems that are made in Canada. And I said, I mean, don't we do the whole thing? Couldn't we say that our next phase of this is let's do the whole thing? And Colin, who should have been the sober second uh, opinion here, said, let's do it. And so I think the two of us spun each other into, all right, let's, let's, let's do something a bit unprecedented, uh, especially for a trade association. Here we are. So we have a vehicle next to us, brand new, one of a kind from the ground up. Yeah. And let's talk about the Project Aero vehicle that you said cost $20 million that's yeah. sitting right next to us. By the way, can I stop? That's, yeah. that's inexpensive. Yeah. I, I, for, like, I do a lot of research before I came here. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's so important, the partners you have, to build this car. I know people are going $20 million. Yeah. Phenomenal. I appreciate that. It's not, you know, let's make the distinction. I love saying 20 million, but it's not for sale for 20 million. And I think what we did was we did a, um, we did a fully operating uh, prototype for about one-tenth of the cost that it would really cost an automaker. And I'll tell you why. Because we didn't reinvent anything here. Um, what we said was, if you're an automaker and you're going to do a concept car, you've got to build a whole new platform. You're using internal and external resources. You're probably doing a new powertrain. But, you know, I represent a couple hundred companies that make all of those things. So what we said was, okay, I got a great head start. And by the way, I have your research and development departments. And by the way, I have your engineering departments. We'll launch a design competition. We'll pick a design. And then we went out and hired the chief engineer of special projects at Aston Martin to be our chief engineer. Cool. You know, and, and what we did was we went after Fraser Dunn uh, for this because... What we thought was, this is going to be a really, really uh, complex one-off in a really short period. Well, who does that better than him and that company? He just finished the Valkyrie, which I think is the funnest, maybe the greatest internal combustion engine car ever. And he came over to do this. And with his help and guidance, we pulled in all of these companies uh, to do everything for us from the standard parts that you think. Those wheels are new wheels from a company called Fasco in Montreal to seven layers of cybersecurity in this vehicle. Seven layer. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. How many companies are involved? So when we went out to bid, I thought we had 93 companies that were working with us on that, that Karma and those Lexuses. And I thought, boy, if we can get those companies involved, we'd be off to the races. So I publicly said, I think we should get 200. You know, here's a stretch goal. Well, 534 bid on it. And so we had this other problem of, well, how am I going to do the due diligence on 534 well, companies, right? So we said, here's the layer. Is your technology commercially ready? 
and scalable for the 2025 model year. And so that number came from 534 down to 230. And then we really worked with that 230 to kind of grind in how do we get down to one car? And you had to make some selections. It's only one set of seats, one set of wheels, uh, one steering wheel. And so that number came down to 58 in the end. But we could have done several cars. You know, we had so much buy-in from the industry. And so what we did is we built this car and we built the virtual model. And the virtual model travels with the car. And what we do is this car is designed to go around the world to automakers to say, look at this ready technology from Canadian companies. And by the way, here's a few options on the wheels. Here's a few options on the screens. And here's a few options so on everything theory, else. You could walk up and say, at the show and say, oh, I, I like the wheels. Who does that? And he's going to tell them. Yeah. And so he gets to show off or, or promote not just his car, but the people that helped. Let's talk about the basic powertrain on this one. Sure. Um, battery powered, obviously. Yeah. Uh, lithium, uh, lithium batteries? Lithium ion batteries with graphene enhanced cathodes and anodes for extended range. A company called Volta Explore out of uh, Quebec. And it's got uh, dual motors. 550 horsepower for the for the auto enthusiasts here. Dual motors, TM4 uh, is, a, is a Quebec sub of a company called Dana, a really big, uh, of course, uh, tier one supplier. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, on the, on the E-axle, uh, you know, we've got, uh, we've got lots of options. We've got the TM4 options, but also Linamar, which is the second biggest Here, Canadian supplier. Yeah, out of Guelph. And they've got this in incredible product that's already on uh, Mercedes and uh, VW and other vehicles around the world and, and get them right out of Guelph. So this particular vehicle, um, what's the range on it? We think the range is 500 kilometers. I say we think because we haven't tested it yet because we finished it at 2.30 in the morning before we revealed it. But you know, like that's, I've been looking at lots of electric cars. Yeah. And the one thing I really worry about is range anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And I just rented a car in San Francisco two weeks ago and I ran out of range yeah. and I was freaking. Yeah. See, I, I get I get panicky if I see my iPad go below 70%. Okay, well, then you're worse than me. You, you'd have a heart attack. It really is a concern for people. There was a, there was a, a study that was out last week uh, done out of the States uh, with, uh, on 7,000 subject cars to say uh, in the range of uh, your climactic and weather range throughout a 12-month period, uh, what were the differences? And in the... All of the, the manufacturers were somewhere between down 15 to 30% in cold weather. And we know that that's an issue. Of course, we're telling a Canadian that's story. another here. anxiety yeah. thing. So we said, look, um, you know, and I give full credit to Colin here, who really kind of pulled together the, the car. You know, I may have been responsible for, okay, let's just go do it. And he really grinded it down and we said, okay, look, the answer to range isn't just in the battery. You know, when we get to a thousand kilometer batteries, uh, you know, everybody will be happy but it's in the materials that you use. So we've got magnesium structural components from a company called Meridian out of London. Uh, we've got a solar PV roof uh, from Cap Solar. You know, not a new idea, you know, Toyota's been They don't doing... have to be new, they have to be innovations. Right, right, well, what, exactly. So what we said was, let's take all these innovations and say, what's the goal? Extending the range to 500 kilometers? How are we gonna do that in a formula? And so a lot of the different decisions, you see these new wheels here, here you turn around and say, what do wheels have to do? Well, of course, there's, there's, there's how much unsprung weight do you have, but also in the design, this company out of Fasco said, who, you know, who sells a lot of great aftermarket uh, uh, wheels for really fast and fun cars, 
said, okay, we'll do an EV wheel where uh, we're going to, we designed the, the, the pattern for uh, cutting the wind. But also the casting, the alloys and the castings were uh, much lighter than you would have for a normal 21-inch wheel. And if that's worth five kilometers, that's part of the plan. Well, it is all incremental, isn't it? That's right. Every little bit of weight that you save and every bit of extra power you can squeeze out. Yeah, and everything you put in there has to be the most cost power efficient types yeah. of amperages and things you're pumping out of that car. Um, that's a key. It's, and, the, and it's so the philosophy, it's, right? Yeah, yeah. So what does this machine offer? Tell us about some of the tech in this thing. So the, the first thing is the envelope. So we turn around and say... Um, you know, for all the kids that are coming through this show, and I came here as a kid in 1986, and my dad got me into a Ferrari Testarossa, and I've been an absolute unrepentant car guy since. It's, can you see yourself in this car? Can you see, there's no Canadian car companies. There's lots of nice cars made in Canada by five assemblies, but no Canadian. So somebody was actually asking me about that. When was the last time there was a domestic Canadian car company? And I think McLaughlin back in the 1920s? Yeah, 100 years ago. Yeah. How about Bricklin? Bricklin was a great shot by a guy named Malcolm Bricklin. Yeah, he, he, he I mean, he was, he, no. but, but, but I don't count that. I'll tell you why I don't count that. Malcolm Bricklin was a guy who had a vision. Who, he had brought uh, uh, Subaru and Yugo to the U.S. market, was a real disruptor. He said, let me make this car differently. In the 70s, it differently was, let me make a sports car that was the safest car in the world. And then he shopped it around and then. Had uh, it made. Yeah, and had it made here. But it wasn't. I mean, yeah, I got gotcha. you. All kinds of respect to him, but that, but that wasn't a sustainable Canadian company. So there isn't one. He, yeah, no, there wasn't because he went to the New Brunswick government, and they underwrote everything. But they all do their own. And they all lost <laughs> their shirt on it. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. frankly, the Brickman wasn't a very good car. It huh? looked great, but it wasn't a very good car. So I had one. Of course, you did, but it was a piece of safety d- orange. I had one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I bought it used, and you had to push it when you drive it. That's right. And the, the, the hydraulics and the doors yeah. always gave up. Yeah. Okay. So, so I think what was important was for everybody that comes through here saying, okay, could we have one? Well, certainly, I think we're proving that here. Look, bumper to bumper, uh, 2025 model year safety specs, 25 new Canadian, and 25 new technology applications in automotive, I think. And then I'm trying to inspire that 10-year-old kid. I was here last night late, and there was a whole bunch of kids that showed up with their parents at 10 to 10 p.m. And now 10 to 10 p.m., I was asleep when I was eight. These are not Italian kids, okay? And so they're coming through, and the parents are talking them through, and I said, this is Canadian. And it kind of lost on the kids. I'm telling the parents, I said, really? And I said, I walked through it. I tell, them my, I tell them my Ferrari story. I pull down the stanchion. I let the kids into the car, and I go, it's $20 million. And they're, wow. And I said, well, listen, go to school. Uh, come back to me when you're 18 and 22 and 25 because you need to run this company. I need your ideas. I need you to make Canadian car companies. That's the feature here. I've been turning around and saying, my prediction is 10 years from now, we've solved a whole bunch of the puzzle here. 10 years from now, you'll come to the show and you'll buy Canadian cars. Would it be this one? I'm with you. Right? I'm with you. Listen, um, Alan will tell you that very few people buy companies in the Silicon Valley and move them here. That's what I do. Okay, why? We have the best damn people in the world. No disrespect for my American counterpoints. We just have the best here. And for someone like yourself to put this vision together, I believe it happens. 10 years ago, maybe not. But with the invent of the new silicone of the North, silicone, I think that it's, it's a given it's going to happen. I got to do it with guys like you. <laughs> let's, let's go back to the vehicle here. So you have it. 
um, configured as, we'll call it a compact SUV. That's right. But it doesn't have to be a compact SUV. This could be any kind of vehicle on that platform. Pl on that platform. Yeah. yeah, what we did was we chose the fastest growing segment in Canada and the, and the vehicle type that people are, are looking at. So we thought, okay, let's, let's give them what they're looking at. You know, there's some great exotic cars around the corner, but I think we would have missed the point if we did that. Then we did big suicide doors on this that kind of look cool, but also allows us to show you the interior. And it is, this is configurable into any platform. And, you know, think of it as a skateboard with a hat. And um, it allowed us at this size to get a whole bunch of technologies into it that we wouldn't have been able to do in, in other segments. Now, I, I, I add, because I've been where they work and build the car. And I don't think unless you come to a show, you can understand what this car looks like inside. You can show all the pictures you want, but when you look at the quality of even the door hinges, like I get it, okay? But you can't do that online. You can't do that via video. But Alan, if you look at the inside of that car, I know you say, when can I get it? Yeah, I'm looking at the fit and finish on the outside. It looks fantastic. And inside, well, let's again, let's go back. What sure. kind of tech is in this thing? What, sure. what things are you showing off that Canadian companies can do? So first of all, the platform here, this is a, this is a mid-sized vehicle that's fully electric that is um, uh, level three autonomous. And so what we talked about is how do you, how do you uh, posture the technologies that already exist in new ideas? So we've got intelligent textiles on the steering wheel in the seats, and we've got sensors and cameras that normally are pointed outside the vehicle that are pointed inside the vehicle. And we say, okay, look, if this car can drive itself, um, uh, how can we, what's the advantage uh, for the passengers and the, um, and, the, and the drivers? If you've got chronic conditions, it can monitor it. So you upload your profile to the car um, and it can monitor it. If you have a health emergency, it can help steer you to uh, acute care. It can trace it. And um, as we think about the internet of things, imagine that your acute care center is also connected to the internet of things. It will get the advance notice that uh, uh, gentleman A, 58 years old, is having a cardiac uh, crisis and he's on his way to your emergency in 17 minutes and then you're getting the triage ready. Um, the, it's a, the technology in this car is oriented so that we can have the kinds of discussions of what would you expect these are, from a these car are company. AI discussions. So yeah. I think if you have a platform that you can build AI around, it's not up to the car anymore. Yeah. It's up to the AI that built around it. Provine, the car has or can be added the sensors to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Geotab is our one of yeah, our I AI know, partners. Oh, oh, right? guys. Yeah, yeah. Like you know them all, right? Inago, Isara. Okay, keep going. What else can it do? Yeah. So so some of the some of the hardware replacement with advanced technology is we've got nanotech in the windows. Uh, so, for example, a really simple one, you know, like we're in a Canadian uh, uh, climate. If you look at the vehicle, there's none of those uh, those warm-up strips on them uh, like uh, traditional vehicles. There's nanotechnology inside the glass to to uh, to defrost and unfreeze un, uh, the windows. It's important not just from how cool that is, but it's also part of that philosophy on saving weight in a car. You lose other systems that, that, that weigh something, that are complicated. You, you can take them out. But you also use that nanotechnology for connectors. So uh, electronic connectors, which are wires and connectors. You know, we heard last week uh, in an interview with uh, CEO of Ford uh, uh, say that he thought that the Mustang Mach-E had a mile of wires that it didn't need. And it's a challenge to his engineers to think differently. He's well, right. Yeah, we've got companies that, from, because we didn't, we're not building 
a car maker's next model and we could start from scratch. We turned around and said in that philosophy, well, how can we get rid of that mile of wire? Think of plug-in modules. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the you know one of the Canadian. So somebody asked me, is there any little little Easter eggs in here? Canadian Easter eggs. Well, we, we came up with this idea in late 2019 and into 2020, and you know the Raptors were the defending champs, and you know we we're what a year. Yeah, what a year. But what a moment, a Canadian moment. I mean, that was Canada's team, and there was a lot of that excitement. You know, we thought about the, some of the Olympic moments in the past, uh, hockey moments where you put a loony at center ice. We said. So when we set this car up, we want everybody to have center court seats. And so you've got a maple hardwood floor with a, with a red center stripe up the middle. And I, I, you know, when I tell this story to people when they come here, I'm like, I got to tell you, we got a lot of Raptors fans in here. And so you sit on either side of the center I court. I love it. You got center court seats. I mean, he did bring up, and I, I'd like to add to it, he did bring up the solar roof. Yeah. Now, again, I do get it that, you know, yeah, solar roofs, we, we read about it every day. So what? That's not what this is about. It's the mixture of everything. That's right. Um, That's right. I, I just think, so that solar roof, um, how, does it, how does it work? And, and um, what's the durability of it? Because solar becomes a problem. You've hit it really hard <laughs> because what people think is they think solar roof will charge the battery. It really doesn't. No, what it does, no. it takes the load off the battery. And so if you've got the car off, and you've you've the, the the solar roof can power some of the accessories, and it's really about that range extension. And then, of course, the challenge we did to cap solar was, look, I was in the solar business. I've built utility well, I brought size. It, I knew you told me you yeah. Were, yeah, yeah. And I said, look, um, cars move. They hit speed bumps. They hit potholes. They 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 run through winter. You can't hide the roof. So you're exposed to all that climactic range. And so uh, they came up with this formula here that we think is is uh, is 12 season, uh, sorry, four season, 12 years. And we're going to test it. You know, one of our partners is uh, Ontario Tech University with the world's premier uh, fully climactic wind tunnel and rolling road. And he doesn't gonna, know that. Yeah, you should know that. It's It's not even that it's, you know, I said to them when they first offered to be our partner, I go, that's pretty unique. You know that they have their own tunnel, test tunnels yes, in there? Yes, yes. Crazy. Well, you need to have that sort of stuff if you're going to be don't. on the cutting Most edge. Most car manufacturers, startup, good luck on that Oh, one. no, no. Yeah. But, but the, the big ones will have wind tunnels and, uh, and no. proof no. of work. You know, no. No. I'll tell you what, no. Here's the secret for Ontario Tech and why I love them is that, is that these car companies come to Ontario Tech. It's a big lockdown. It's a secret day. And they come in there. You can't see them. They work in there. They run hurricane winds in there. They, they go from uh, uh, 40 uh, above uh, uh, zero to 60 below. And they come in, they test their cars there, and they leave. And so we got access to it. Uh, uh, you know, Ferrari you has a there, wind tunnel, but nobody else does. Yeah, when you go there, you sign in like an NDA. And when I was there, I saw other things being done that I can't talk about. If I did, I'd have to kill you. No, we would, no, no, we'd have to kill you. <laughs> You're the spy and the leaker. Uh, okay. And let me, let me tell you a couple other things. Because what we said here was, okay, look. Um, everybody's pushing to zero emissions and it's whether the market, so regulators are saying you can only sell zero emission vehicles by 2035 in this market or automakers saying, hey, by the way, we're going to fall over each other to make EVs and fuel cell vehicles before the next guy. So, so I don't think that's possible in the timeframes that they're talking about. I, I, I love that we're pushing it, but a lot of people, one third of the Canadian population lives in in um, uh, multifamily housing, uh, apartments, condominiums. And I'm, I mean, unless you're going to run extension courts from the, from the balconies, we won't get to that number. So what I do think, and I'm being very, like, we're pushing the envelope. We went and did ours. 
Uh, but I think we're going to have a more holistic look at this as we get halfway there. 2028, 2029, we're going to say, okay, hold on a second. What's the footprint of your enterprise? What's the footprint of the materials that are in your vehicle? And so we worked with ArcelorMittal DeFasco out of Hamilton, who have- I heard of them. <laughs> yeah. They're the biggest supplier of steel of the auto industry in Canada, and really in kind of the, the northern part of the continent. And they're completely redoing their facilities and their furnaces and the way they power them to have the greenest footprint. In that footprint that I think is gonna be important, when we miss those targets, uh, the regulators are gonna turn around and say, okay, hold on, let me look at your company. What's the footprint of your company? Let me divide that footprint by the number of cars you sell. That's your new emissions level. Not, hey, by the way, if you make a million EVs, but all your processes are carbon emitting, you're off the hook. So what we did is we're anticipating that with who our, who our material suppliers are, and we've picked the FASCO for, for, the, for the structures and the body. I was actually coming back from uh, the UK the other day, and I was reading a story in The Guardian, and it talked about... Um, okay, whether or not EVs are actually as environmentally friendly as some people are making them out to be. And it turns out they are if you source the parts and if you source the materials for that vehicle and they are also have a, have a greener footprint than most. Yeah, you've got to be thoughtful as an enterprise. And, and, and look, in the end, it doesn't matter. EVs will be better for for the planet than internal combustion engine vehicles. Does it have to be 100%? Yeah. I always say, just uh, aim for something good. If it's incremental, yeah, it's, it's like, still an improvement. On. Yeah, exactly. But you know, we tell the Canadian story. There's a company called Sayona Mining. It's an Australian company that's got mines in, in Quebec. A lithium mine that's going to produce lithium, going to deliver rocks by the end of the first quarter. There won't be another one in Canada until... Uh, the end of 2025, maybe early 2026. The is a partner on this. We turn around and say, we've got Volta Explorer batteries. Well, the Volta Explorer batteries, lithium ion is going to be, come from mines in Quebec, Sayona mines in Quebec. That'll be refined, of course, with all of the new investments that we're doing here. We want to tell that Quebec lithium story because the power uh, source in Quebec is 98 or 99% hydroelectric. I mean, that's important. It is huge. And by the way, we should be using our own. Yeah. Yeah. And otherwise, what we're doing is, and, and, and it's important, we're being disruptive, but, but what we're doing is we go get the rocks in Australia or we get them in Argentina. We send them on the other side of the Pacific to get done, uh, refined and put into cells in China and then come back here. Well, by the time they arrive, you've got this really inefficient carbon footprint already. You know, this diesel-operated uh, Everything to get it there and do yeah. it. Yeah. So let's do it in Quebec. And so are the rocks better in Quebec than they are in Australia? Well, they're better for us in general. They're also better for Canada. And we're highlighting that that's available here. And all these automakers will say, well, I love the intelligent steering wheel that you've got from Mayant. Uh, we say, by the way, you're... You're making uh, electric vehicles by 24, 25, 26. Let me introduce you to the manuf to the suppliers in Quebec. So let's talk about the dashboard. What is the dash? I mean, that is a has been a battleground for the last, I don't know, 10 or 15 years as OEMs try to maintain control over what they show their, their drivers. But now you've got Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. And in fact, the next iteration of Apple CarPlay basically takes over the dashboard. So what is what is your dashboard? So the dashboard is a canvas for the customer, for the for the passenger experience and for the driver experience. So as we start going to level three, level four, level five autonomous, which by the way, level three is think about Tesla Auto Drive or GM uh, Super Cruise. It's only really one level three registered Mercedes. Right. Okay. 
Level four is, imagine fully autonomous, but you still have to have the, the redundant controls, the steering wheel and the pedals. And then level five, when we all trust it, we're going to design away from it. That's the George Jetson era where you just get in the vehicle and it takes you where I'm you there. tell it to go. I'm there. Okay. So so what we thought we would do is we'd push the envelope and we'd, we'd turn around and do a dash. You'll see screen from side to side and then down the console as if you're in a level five scenario. Okay. And and because we've we've configured this car as a vehicle as a as a caregiver, what you could do is all of the passenger you know imagine you got privacy issues with your passengers, but um, all of the passenger information and detail is uh, available there. You can also, if, for morbid curiosity, and I wouldn't suggest this to anybody's spouse who grabs their arm while they're driving too fast. You can mirror what's in front of the the driver, in front of the passenger. But then you can do all the rest of your entertainment systems, etc. But if you look at this interior and the way the relationship with the dash, you'll see a flat floor, of course, that happens with a, with a battery-operated vehicle. But the way that we set up the ergonomics, um, uh, we brought in a guy named Richard Seal, whose last project before this was the Virgin Galactic spaceship. And we said, okay, look, can you give me a sense now? I mean, you are not talking about auto drive, right? You're not grabbing the steering wheel and that thing. Um, how would you configure for this? And so the relationship between the seating and the, and the dash and the way that it works, uh, all of it is a, it's kind of an ecosystem. You, 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 you got to sit in the car and you got to drive the car to, 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 to feel the difference. I want to. Yeah. I want to get in this car. So so when can we drive the car? Well, the show closes at 10. We can put it on the track behind us. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Did you hear yeah. that? I did. Alan, did I you know, hear I that? Know. Um, the, the, the thing I always ask about these is obviously um, I've worked a lot with the uh, manufacturers on interfacing to the CAN bus. And of course, you can't get into the major canvas, you can get into the auxiliary canvas, which is useless. So, Alan asked something that was related to this, Alan, and I don't know if you, uh, if we have an answer. You said, well, Apple CarPlay, uh, Google, um, Samsung, um, they're all coming out with, and they are, and of course, then we have this disruptor called Chat, chat GPT. Um, but I'm not sure the auto manufacturers are gonna let anyone in the CAN bus then. You know, it's funny. You're really talking about that roller coaster ride of of how they're treating what we what we first said was infotainment and GPS, and then they turn around and said, "Well, over the years, they're like, why am I going to develop my own stuff? Like, people will plug in their phones, and then we'll mirror that. Well, now, changed it. Yeah. Well, now that we understand that the real value, uh, the new value in uh, autonomous cars, connected cars, is all that data that gets generated by that rolling platform." Who's going to own it? How are you going to configure it? Now they're all coming back to, hey, hold on a second. I could probably pre-sell that data. This car is going to last five, yeah, five years with the first owner, maybe 12 years in total. You know, how many terabytes? What's that worth? Can I pre-sell it to TELUS in Canada or AT&T in the U.S.? Well, the answer is yes. Yeah. And so when I pre-sell it, does that change the, the value of the car? There you go. Well, what it becomes is... You have so many options. Like you could say, okay, this car is $60,000. I don't care what it is. Plus a monthly service of this. And who's going to pay for that service? Everyone out there. Um, you know, can I make this car a wallet? Can I make it, and I'm getting data. Can I put this car into a transportation system that gives me, oh, by the way, uh, Sureway. Guess how many people are coming twice a week to shop here, and guess how far away they're driving from. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should build another mall to 20 miles away from here in a new core center. Like, 
it doesn't stop. We could go on forever, guys, on the data side of it. Right. So, so you're hitting the nail on the head multiple times in one, in one piece there. But that's why automakers are now turning around and saying, Apple Autoplay, uh, uh, Android system, that's good for today. Uh, there's no way I'm going to let go of that tomorrow. And so they're all now re-internalizing it because they've got to be able to sell those packets. Yes. And it also changes the service model. Now, for example, I, I've agreed now to buy this car from TELUS 10 years from now. i got to tell us. Don't I gotta, laugh. Yeah, I think it's true. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Absolutely. But, but now I have, what I've said to TELUS is, I think I'm going to drive 24,000 kilometers a year, okay, which is the typical uh, load data that, for example, Transportation Canada and uses. And you lease rates right? are at everything, right. right? And TELUS says, well, I'm going to pay you for that. You're going to sign off all the all the data, all your location data, which, by the way, we're all signing off with our phones and anyway. I'm gonna, I want to process your transactions for yeah. you, and yeah. I want to do this yeah. for you. You just drive it around. Now, they're not going to give you a check. What they're going to turn around and say, oh, the car was 60000 Now, if you agree to this, the car's 50000 or the car's 40000 Alan, that's done now. Prepaying yeah. for your data. No, no, but it's done yeah. now. Yeah. It's just, you know, the prepaying of data is commonplace in yeah. smart buildings and that. Yeah, right. Because I'm in it. Yeah. Right? Um, this is just another level. There's 1.2 billion cars. There's 1.367 billion, okay? But one point, just under 1.2 billion are vehicles that uh, outside of trucks, okay? If you do the pro, if you do the statistics on that, um, there's no more data from anything that you could attract than you ever wanted to. Um, now that's where the cybersecurity comes in place. But I believe if you take this car, which you're doing, and take it to that level, it's number one. So you said you had seven layers of cybersecurity yeah. on this, obviously to, to protect this data that the car is going to be the car. No, operation of the car. Too. Yeah. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. If oh. Protect the protect the uh, the the data that the car is generating, that the uh, what the driver is generating, and then to make sure that nobody gets into the car. There you go. To hack it. That's, that's why the all the one. layers, right? That's so, the big one. so I think what people think. So uh, back in 2015, somebody did a really good demonstration. Uh, it was a hacker that was employed at Twitter, a U.S. congressman, uh, and what they did is they turned around and said, and Vice Media, they said, "Okay, look, we think that the uh, Bluetooth connection in um, uh, Fiat Chrysler vehicles at the time." Uh, are easily accessible remotely. And so they, they did this piece, you can find it online, where they hacked the Jeep Cherokee while it was driving. You know, it was a third guy in this whole group and they hacked into it and uh, demonstrated, look, you know, this is something we need to protect. And then almost within the week, FCA turned around and said, we recalled them, brought them in and patched it. And, and a lot of the cybersecurity in vehicles has been about, well, okay, look, can you hack into a vehicle? Well, I think there's a lot of things that we need to think about. It's the security of the asset for you, like is someone gonna steal your car? It's the security of the vehicle's operation. Um, it's the security of the, of the uh, and operation, there's two layers, how it operates on the road, but then with all this intelligent stuff on the inside, how it behaves inside. What if I hacked your car and just fooled around with the, with the ambient space inside the car, stereo, whatever? Um, then, of course, it's got to connect to the infrastructure. So as we as we're building intelligent cars, uh, you know, people are building smart cities. Uh, the U.S. federal government is spending hundreds of billions of dollars in in the most connected infrastructure, which includes which will include things like induction charging. You've got to protect that. Then you've got to protect that data that you're pre-selling, and you've got to protect that data from a privacy point of view. You might pre-sell it, but you're going to pre-sell it as white-labeled data. Absolutely. So, so all of that is 
six layers. And then the seventh layer is um, in November 2021, President Biden signed an executive order that said, if you're going to connect to intelligent infrastructure by 2026 and you're a car maker, you need a software bill of materials. What, what that means is you're going to be absolutely transparent from uh, of all of the software that's in there and then the source code on that software. And then that isn't just for forensic analysis if something else happened. It's a, hey, by the way, if I wanted to disrupt the United States uh, remotely, I'd hack into that intelligent infrastructure. And so you want to be, you want to be on, a, on an American highway with a connected uh, vehicle, then either that uh, infrastructure detects that software bill of material, you're out. Well, yeah, I'm not here to, like, I'm not here to su support Biden or anything. Yeah. But that's what it's about right now. He went after a certain EV smart company last week about cybersecurity and about they better do something about their car or it's going to be pulled. And so it's coming. It's going to be the most important. No matter what you do, if you don't fall into that, it's all about a public infrastructure that's being built, both communication-wise and, and electrified-wise. So you have to fall into that. So there's always all kinds of uh, rules, regulations you're going to have to follow. Let me ask you this. Who's setting these standards? The, the Europeans must be all over this. So the Europeans have traditionally set their own standard. Um, and the Americans about four or five years ago said, let's go out and start set setting these standards. Canada almost always harmonizes with the U.S. But right now what we're looking at is all major markets actually working together at the highest regulatory levels to share that info and to turn around and but set. But who's they? Well, the NTSA, NTSB in the U.S., Transport Canada in Canada. Canada? Um, Euro? Uh, it's in Brussels. I mean, I don't know. Uh, yeah. And, but it's a... You know, cybersecurity is a is is not about IT. It's about culture, and in most of those jurisdictions, the head of government and that central agency has bought into the fact that not only do we have to do it, we have to harmonize. And because if we harmonize, we can turn around and share information. And so, you'll see those standards probably lag a little bit behind the I deployment. I wish we could set them. You know. Yeah. Now I got an important question though, and I'd like you to know this. Will this shoot down spy balloons? <laughs> What's so funny? No, Can I miss something? Um, maybe, you know what? It'll, yeah. It'll be like Bond's 1965 Aston Martin. That's what I was going to go to. Best way to skip traffic is <laughs> hitch a ride on a spy balloon across the continent. So a lot of countries have set some very aggressive deadlines for the percentage of EVs that are going to have to be sold on the road. Uh, Canada is 100% by 2020, 2035. Yeah. Right. So are we, in 2035, going to be going into uh, an aero showroom and buying an aero car? Oh, here we go. <laughs> that's a here 20, we go, that's the, that's the $1 billion question. I'll tell you, by 2035, what you will see is you'll be able to pick from a series of Canadian companies that were startups that were either using major systems and platforms from the aero, or a uh, they went into the kit of the suppliers that are in the arrow or the like arrow maybe you and I could start a company yeah see yeah you learn we just learned all about it no I I, I think I know what he's edging you to but yeah where does this arrow car go you don't know right I don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of interest uh, you know we're at a consumer show where people are all asking me if they can buy one I go make a best offer this one was 20 million but the, the reason why I give them a cheeky answer is also because, first of all, we're not set up as a car company. This is a demonstration of the suppliers. But if I, if I got academic for a minute and turn around and yes. say, what do you need uh, to launch a car company? Well, first of all, you've got to understand what your, the cost of materials is. 
And you got to really drill that down. And it, it's it's a it's an important exercise. How much will it cost if I made a thousand or if I made a hundred thousand? Then you have to have a real sense of can it compete with the product that you see on the floor here? Right behind you is the EV test track. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you love. Yeah. It's what what does everyone else love? There's great, great product, which a lot of these companies already supply. Okay. So so you know, is the world begging for another option? No. But the world is always open for a fertile new option that thinks about things differently. When a lot of people think about EVs, they think about Tesla first. Then they might think about Hyundai and, and uh, uh, Toyota. And Toyota. Um, then a GM. Yeah. Uh, then maybe Kia. Yeah. Uh, now you're thinking on this side. I'm Over thinking about no, no. Well, this Neo one, and well, this is what yeah. I'm saying. Is is but in other parts of the world we have Bird in yeah. or Bid. BYD Neo. Yeah. Void. Yeah. He's talking about Void, but I mean, yeah. they're the leaders. Yeah, I mean, sure. they're number one. And they're in China, they're yeah. huge. Um, there's a company over there called VS that I've never seen before. I don't know where they're from. Yeah, Vietnamese. No, the Vietnamese. Yeah, oh, are they? Okay. Yeah. So I know kind of the news right now. Uh, and then there, there's a bunch of others as well. So the EV space. Now we're in a. In so a, show me a Canadian one. Huh? Well, this is what I'm. Th I'm saying we are in a, a hall, an exhibition hall that is nothing but EVs. And it is absolutely jammed with people. So the amount of curiosity, the amount of interest in these new vehicles is huge. And we're sitting here next to the uh, the Arrow, and it's it's surrounded by people taking pictures. Because they, they, I think there should be more Canadian flags around it. Actually, you know what? <laughs> no, it's in the logo. It's in the car. I think it should be a big Canadian flag. Uh, yeah, there should be a flag okay. out here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. How does this charge? Is this induction or is this plug-in? You got two options. We've got this great partner called Elite Power that's an induction charging. And uh, when we did it at uh, CES, uh, uh, when we demonstrated at CES, a lot of the coverage was, wow, that was the the, the most interesting. Induction is uh, tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, otherwise, we're just plugging it in for now. You know, when you talked about all these other EVs here, let me, let me add something on that. Um, for the first time, in the history of the automotive sector, every single company is switching over uh, drivetrain technology. They're all they're all going to electric drive components, and whether that's battery, or whether that's uh, eventually fuel cell, it'll battery will probably win out, but there'll be a lot of fuel cell applications. But every single company that exists has to spend billions of dollars to do the shift, which creates a lot of disruption. A lot of those balance sheets are, are rather thin. And so, you know, you talk about these new players. Uh, in China, 35 million cars are made every year out of the total 100 million on the planet. We, we don't even know those brands. I mean, I know them, but consumers here don't know them because they don't export them. BYD, who you talked about, is important. That disruption uh, of mostly market players allows for new players who are well capitalized to take a shot. And so that VinFast that you see With around the corner. With templates already yes. done. Yeah. Yeah, these skateboards that we talk about. This company, VinFast, over there, I've got a lot of respect for the shot they're taking at the market. They went with a formula. They turned around and said, okay, look, people, an electric car is a car. They want a car with good range. They want a car with a nice interior that looks kind of nice. Everybody's got a very similar silhouette. They went out to Pininfarina, Ferrari's designer. I read about it, yeah. And, you know, we do some work with Pininfarina, and we met uh, the CEO at their, at their CES launch, and he came over to see us, and... and um, you know, when you're buying a new car and you turn around and say, like, is there is the market begging for something? Maybe not. But you know what? I can get a Pininfarina-designed electric SUV for the price of... Um, two other ones. Yeah. You're two of those for one of something else. Yeah, why not? It's compelling. And so, so there's an opportunity for dreamers. Look, you need engineers. You need people who work well with their hands. And you need the money, guys. But they got to be driven by dreamers. And let the dreamers fail. 
Okay? What we don't do in this country particularly well is allow people to fail. And so what we thought here is I'm going to stick my chin out. The APMA is going to put uh, a target on itself and said, let's go build a theoretical car company with a working prototype so that everybody else who's too afraid to dream can do it. And then turn around and say, the only thing that's missing is risk capital. That's the easy part. You want a car? Here it is. You want a kit? You want to use this car as a kit to launch your own car company? Hey, listen, as long as you buy the parts and systems from the Canadian companies you realize, that, that I we see represent. five companies coming out of this, not just a manufacturing right? company. Well, right? it's, it's also very interesting, too, and, and this is something that not a lot of people are, are, are thinking about, is when you have an uh, internal combustion engine and all the parts that go into a vehicle like that, a lot of those parts are going to become obsolete and uh, as, as we get deeper into the EV world. So all these parts manufacturers who are currently supplying ICE technology... Yeah they're going to have to pivot themselves. But they have the infrastructure. See, well, we'll they need do. them. We, we need them. Yeah, but they got to win that business. They got to win the business, yeah. You know, I use, for example, one of my favorite companies uh, that's in our system here is Linamar, the second biggest Canadian supplier. And they are... A I read his book. Yeah. Amazing book. You know, Frank, Frank just Frank. passed away. Yeah, um, and he was a visionary. Uh, but Linda is taking this to another level. She turned around and said, okay, look, if the world's going to electrify, then we're going to be part of that. And they've got a product that is, uh, I think, a leader in uh, the, 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 the e-axle business. E-axle and, uh, I don't want to scoop the stuff they're doing, but there'll be some integrated uh, power source within it. And they've got to go out and win that business. They're, so their challenge is, uh, we employ tens of thousands of people. And they really are a bedrock of the Canadian industry here. And we want to support companies like that to win that business. But you're right, they have to transition. But if you're making exhaust or intake, uh, there is none of that on, a, on an electric you're vehicle. You're adapting. Yeah. If you're, making, if you're in the business of the fuel pumps, look, we're going to make internal combustion for a long time, but your business is going to shrink uh, considerably. And so you've got to think about what's next. Yeah, because you got to remember, you, it's, you just can't buy a new car, produce a new car in 2035. Yeah. I mean, we don't know how long the combustion engines are going to last and be pushed by the government to continue because maybe it didn't, no one assimilated quick enough. So, I mean, there's always going to be that business for a while. Well, the opportunity side of it is, okay, look, that internal combustion engine car, I drove here in an internal combustion. I, I pressed the start button. It uh, A 12-volt battery started a 40-volt platform that runs, you know, my entertainment. These cars, a 100-kilowatt battery runs an 800-volt system. That 800-volt system has so many of these suppliers on here are not traditional motor suppliers. AI, sensors, no, intelligence. Yeah. companies. This yeah. is, these become the biggest technology platforms uh, uh, in the world. And in Canada, I always say this, in southwestern Ontario, if you take the map of the, of, uh, the global map of uh, leading manufacturing clusters, it's on it. Then you overlay the global map of leading IT clusters, it's on it. And then you overlay the map of critical minerals uh, location. It's on it. It's the only place that's got all three of them. And uh, what we're going to lose on the intake exhaust side, what we're going to lose on regular braking, and what we're going to lose on fuel pumps, we're going to gain fivefold, tenfold on technology We're creating new industries. We're creating yeah. new supply industries. Yeah. So what's going to happen here is a 25-year-old engineering student is going to come by. He's going to take a look at this, get really excited. Um, go to his rich uncle and say, I want to be one of the first Canadian EV auto manufacturers. 
uh, using technology that already exists in Canada. That's what you're hoping for. Yeah, and they'll come to me and I'll say, look, here's the board over here. And if you don't, if don't you if love this? You don't have what you need here. I got 230 companies. It's like someone helping you build your Lego. Yeah. Um, and I think that the way I look at it is I want to go back to one thing, guys. If you're not in the tech world, then you need to know that in our world, it's all about vision, believing, getting kicked in the teeth, yeah. but staying focused and getting it done. And I think that's what you've done with this car. And I think that, like, I think it's going to be a winner, Alan. Um, I just think you got to stick with it. And, and uh, I can tell by sitting here, people just love this car. If uh, Ford or GM or any big manufacturer were to come to you and say, listen, we want to incorporate some of this material, some of this technology into our vehicles, would you help them? Uh, yes, and I'll, I'll go one step further. We went to Ford and General Motors and Toyota and 14 automakers right now. We said, we'll bring the car to you. We're going to bring the suppliers to you. We're going to do a tech demonstration day. Give us uh, your engineering people, your procurement people. I don't own the IP that's in these in these in this car. All these people do. All, yeah, they do. And what we promised them was, you know, we go back to that 20 million. Where did that come from? Well, 12 of it came from them, and we said, spend. Uh, spend your R&D internally. Don't go external on this. Uh, the development costs on one-offs and or any of your software hard tooling. And I'll take your stuff on around the world for two years to every single automaker so that if you have a current customer, you can augment that exposure. But if you don't, if, you, if you're not doing business with Mercedes and VW, it by the way, now. yeah, I'm going to bring you to Atlanta in April uh, where we're going to do a full day with them. And we did that with the with the other demo vehicle, I, I love Ford, and I'll say, and we're going to go back and see them. We brought uh, one of those demo cars five years ago to the Rotunda in Dearborn, and Ford said, okay, have at it. We brought 31 companies, 275 Ford people came through that day to those suppliers. Didn't, didn't make me a penny. I already, we already get paid for promoting them, but those suppliers got exposure and business from that. The ROI on this is it going to be whether I can sell it for $20 million? It's what everybody can do with it. Yeah, we're going to do a half a billion dollars worth of business on the, because of the, the, the exposure this car gets. This thing is a hell of a business card for the Canadian automotive parts manufacturers, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I said when we launched this, this is going to be the most expensive business card ever made. And it is. But in that cheekiness, it's a... Uh, look, everybody... This is my 121st interview on this car. Everybody around the world is asking the same questions. And the answer is the names of the companies that are on that board and the tens of thousands of people they, they employ. Well, this has been very interesting. We'll be watching this technology. I mean, I have ever since I saw that Fisker a couple of years ago. We'll see where this goes. And it would be so cool for the first time in over 100 years if we had a domestic car manufacturer that lit up the world with its technology, its reliability, and its performance. It's a, it's a personal goal of mine. And, it, and it, whether it's us or somebody else who wanted to bank on their dreams, I'm in. And there is another episode of the Smart City Podcast. Thanks to Flavio Volpe of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association for showing us that the future looks pretty interesting when it comes to electric vehicles here in Canada. And if you have any questions or comments, send something to feedback at thesmartcity.blog. Also, check out the website, thesmartcity.blog. The Smart City Podcast, brought to you by Locomobi World, moving the world through sustainable, frictionless solutions. Executive producer is Grant Furlane. Technical production by Rob Johnston. Executive assistant is Andrea Crawford. I'm Alan Cross, and we'll see you next time.